0: Good evening. This is Quintus Curtius. Welcome back to the podcast. And today, May 19th, 2017, I released my latest book, which is a translation of the Roman historian Sallust, his two monographs, The Conspiracy of Catiline and The War of Jugurtha. And I posted an announcement about this on my blog. There's an article about that, and I give all the details of what's included in the book, why it's different, and why it's important, and why I think it would be an enjoyable and memorable experience to read. But I also wanted to include a little bit of a podcast element to the, to the announcement. And what I'll do is I'll embed this, this podcast in with the article once I'm done. But you can listen to it here. What I want to do is in this podcast is to read the foreword, to read the foreword to the book so that you can get an idea of what the foreword says. So You can find the the book available for purchase on Amazon, and so those who are interested can go there and, and do that, but what I'll do here is I'll read the foreword to the book so that you can get an idea of what the foreword says. My first encounter with Sallust came many years ago when I was a student. He is not a writer easily forgotten. Not only was he able to tell an exciting story, but he could do it in a way that elevated events from their immediate temporal environs to a place where he could convey the profoundest lessons about character, fate, and the dangers of hubris. His writing was swift, compact, and rhetorically luminous. Who today would dare to begin historical work with the sublime invocation that opens the conspiracy of Catiline? All men who seek to be better than the animals ought to exert themselves with the greatest efforts, lest they pass their lives in silence as if they were beasts of burden, which nature has conditioned to be prostrate and subservient to their stomachs. All our powers are situated in our minds and bodies. We make use of the mind more for control and the body for service. One of these we hold in common with the gods and the other with the wild beasts. For me, it seems more proper to seek glory through one's natural character than through the efforts of naked force and, since this life that we delight in is short, to fashion a legacy for ourselves that is as lasting as possible. For glory derived from riches and appearances is transitory and brittle, but masculine virtue is pure and eternal. This is a historian with an unapologetic conception of man and his place in the natural order of things, a historian who has seen and done much, and who now intends to pass on what he has learned. No less impressive are the stirring opening sentences of The War of Jugurtha. In vain does man lament his nature over the fact that it is fragile and impermanent and governed more by chance than by virtue. Deeper inquiry shows, however, that you will find nothing greater or more surpassing, and that human nature more often lacks perseverance than physical strength or an extended age. But the mind is the leader and commander of the life of mortals, He who marches to glory by the path of virtue has an abundance of strength, power, and renown. He does not need fortune, since fortune can neither bestow nor revoke from someone honesty, industry, or any of the other noble qualities. The man consumed by perverse appetites surrenders himself to inertia and the basest cravings of the body. For a short time he enjoys his destructive lusts where strength, opportunity, and good character are drained away through self-indulgence. Blame is fixed on the infirmity of human nature, and the engineers of the crime transfer responsibility to some external factor. But if men had the same care for doing good works as they have enthusiasm for chasing what is of no advantage to them, in many cases what is even dangerous and harmful to them. They would more often rule fortune than be ruled by it, and would advance to such greatness that through their glory they would become immortal among men. With Sallust's works, there was no padding or filler. Every word and every sentence counted. Like most of the great Roman writers, he believed that fate, fortuna, had the final say in the outcome of human affairs but that a man's bearing or manly virtue virtus could tip the scales in his favor at critical moments there was a majestic inspiring quality to his prose its brevity and occasional obscurity seemed to challenge the reader to draw his own inferences and conclusions from the events related salust never condescended never condescends to his audience Unlike some of his Greek predecessors, he has no desire to spoon-feed readers with fables, legends, or details that should be clear from context. This is a hard-headed, practical man of experience and substance, a man who expects his fellow travelers to employ basic deductive skills. Many years passed after that first encounter with the historian. I happened to find him again at another point in my life, a time when I was leaving the military and embarking on a civilian career. It was a time of transition and turbulence, and one not without uncertainty. A second reading of the historian revealed new perspectives, lessons, and insights that had not been apparent to me before. Perhaps it is true, as the French writer François-René de Chateaubriand said, that we are not just one person in our lives— We are instead a composite of different lives, laid end to end, as one phase of life dissolves into the next. We are different people with a separate consciousness at each one of these phases. Reading Sallust a second time, I was especially struck by the power of Marius's speech to the commons. The oration that Sallust gives him ranks as one of the most scorching indictments of unearned privilege ever written. Marius's words sailed like an arrow to my heart. I felt as if he were speaking directly to me. Yet careful readings of the original text convinced me that the existing translations of Sallust did not give many passages the full resonance in English that they deserved. This was especially true in the Jugurtha, where the relationship between the commanders Marius and Metellus the descriptions of some of the battles, and the explanations of certain tactical and administrative matters would greatly benefit from a translator with practical military experience. There were other deficiencies that needed to be addressed as well. Until now, no translator has called sufficient attention to the counterinsurgency aspects of the Jugurtha. Its modern relevance has never been more obvious the inclusion of chronological tables, maps, and diagrams could assist the reader who had very little or no experience in Roman military or political history. It was then that my desire to translate Sallust was born. What I felt was needed was a fully modern translation that provided the reader with essential details in one place, to enhance understanding and enjoyment of the text. Solast was the first of the great Roman historians, and his influence has been considerable. He was studied by the rhetoricians, for example, Quintilian, and imitated by those who came after him, for example, Tacitus. Like any great man, he had more than his share of detractors. But it cannot be disputed that his works have been taught and studied for many centuries. In the 19th and early 20th centuries of our own era, numerous school editions of his works were used. As college texts for advanced students of Latin. Sadly, though, with the general decline in classical studies since the mid twentieth century, the pleasures of reading him have been denied several generations of students. What the reader of 2017 needs is a new translation, annotated and illustrated, that presupposes no knowledge of Roman history and is not burdened by old fashioned English Victorian stylistics. This was the approach taken in my translation of Cicero's On Duties, and I have found that it has resonated positively with readers. This translation of Sallust is designed for the general reader who wishes to have an edition that is entirely self-contained. Specific tools are included in this volume to assist in comprehension. There are notes, maps, illustrations, a detailed introduction, chronological tables, an index and topical charts. Every effort has been made here to ensure that the reader is given the necessary tools to understand and enjoy these two great historical monographs. A translation of this kind is a creative literary endeavor in its own right. Solust's prose presents challenges that are not found in Cicero or in any other Latin writer. Where Cicero is effusive and lengthy, Sallust is dense, compact, sententiously brief and elusive, Sometimes what he does not say matters as much as what he does say. He was fond of dropping elliptical hints and expecting his readers to supply their own conclusions. He has a preference for archaic constructions in Latin, unusual words and spellings, and highly rhetorical grammatical forms. At his best, he reads like a prose poet, balancing out his clauses as if he he were counting syllables in classical verse. But the overall effect is powerful and unforgettable. A translator cannot take too many liberties with his words. This would dilute the force of his diction and compromise his literary techniques. I am indebted to the many people who assisted in the preparation of this book. The artist James Seehafer, who produced the wonderful cover for On Duties in 2016, came through once again with cover art that does justice to Sallust's timeless themes. As always, Julko Iwicz offered consistent encouragement at every step of the journey. Ola Brandenburg in Berlin provided invaluable assistance with the mapping software used in the text. My father patiently proofread the entire manuscript, offering many editing suggestions that I would otherwise have missed. Finally, I must thank the many readers whose private emails and expressions of support were both a stimulus and a solace. May they never be silent. Quintus Curtius, May, 2017